0: Hey everybody, it's Brad here. Before we get started with the show today, I wanted to take a minute and let you guys know about our coaching program we run here at MacroZinc. We believe that every person on the planet deserves to live their healthiest and best life. A qualified nutrition coach and personal trainer can be the key to living that life. At MacroZinc, we provide fully customized one-on-one nutrition coaching and online personal training that has changed the lives of 10,000 people and counting. We offer a two-week free trial for our nutrition coaching and you can get started risk-free today. Just go to macrozinc.net slash services and sign up. Let's get into the show. Welcome back to the show. Today, we are going to be talking about how diet quality may affect aging at a genetic level how in business insights, there's a few ways to acquire clients. You either pay for them, you subsidize them through value, or you get word of mouth referral. And then for what am I learning today? We're going to talk about how if you want to change your life, you have to change who you are as a person and that that takes work. Without further ado, let's get into the show. All right, today we have an interesting discussion for our nutrition insight, and this relates to a phenomenon that we call epigenetics. And I want to talk about this from a couple different perspectives, um, but I'm going to actually just really briefly go through this study, and then I want to kind of pull back and and talk about some of the, the other research and kind of ideas around this, and then give you actually some of my personal experiences. Um, working on stuff like this in, in a very different context. You guys will get to hear a little bit more about my very interesting background. Um, so this is a paper published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, and it's titled, Higher Diet Quality Relates to Decelerated Epigenetic Aging. Um, and so basically what they did is they took a whole bunch of people, I think it was about 2,000 people from the Framingham Heart Study Um, which we'll talk about the Framingham Heart Study in another date in more detail. But basically, they took a whole bunch of people, about 2,000 people, who were tracked very closely over their life, and their parents have been tracked, um, and looked at basically their diet quality. So roughly, like, did they eat a lot of fruits and vegetables? Did they smoke? Did they um, eat a lot of fried food, etc.? And then they measured their, what we call, epigenome. And so if you kind of think back to like sophomore year high school biology at least when i was a kid this is that was when we learned about this kind of stuff um you know you've got dna which is your genome and then your dna you know creates um you know rna which gets turned into proteins but what's interesting is you have a level of control on your genome on your dna that determines which genes are kind of turned on and off and or how much those genes are producing proteins or RNA or not. And there's this layer of control that's laid on top of it and it's called your epigenome. And this in, this basically is a bunch of like chemical marks on your DNA that says like hey, make more of that or hey, make less of that. Like fundamentally, that's what your epigenome is. Um in my uh, dissertation work that I did during my doctorate and in the lab that I did during my postdoc, I actually did a lot of work on epigenetics. Um, and so basically, what we've learned about this is you can actually look at the, like the epigenetic marks like across most of your genome, and you can actually associate that with like biological age, right? So not chronological, chronological age, like how many days have you lived, but biological age, like how much have you aged biologically speaking? You can actually like look at that and actually get a pretty good estimate of how like biologically old you are. So there's actual like algorithms that you can use that say, hey, here's what your genome, your epigenome looks like. Here's roughly how old you actually are in biological aging. And so this study basically looked at these markers and then correlated it to diet, and they found that people who have a better diet quality actually Tend to live longer, or they their epigenome suggests that they age slower. Um, now, there's a lot of details in this study, and I don't really want to get way too far into it and t- kind of talk about like the adjustments they made and how BMI affects it, etc. Um, but really, what we see is that you know better diet quality actually results in slower biological aging, which is something that we've kind of always intuited. Um, but better dietary patterns and better health patterns, so like not smoking, not drinking, actually affects your genetics and not like altering your DNA, but like affects the quality of how your DNA is translated into proteins. And what's really interesting is we've known about kind of the the importance of the epigenome for several decades. Um I think one of the the very first studies that really kind of showed us this was um, and I think we actually have this in the NutriWiki. I think there's an article like um your kids inherit what you eat and basically there was a study they did where there's a certain strain of mouse um that depending on kind of their epigenome they'll either be born with like dark fur um or they'll be born with like very light fur and what color fur they have based on how the genes are turned on also determines whether they're like lean and healthy or they end up having kind of an obese phenotype due to the way genes are changed. And so in that study, what they actually did was they fed the mom um, while she was like, you know, in utero with these mice, a ton of vitamins, just B vitamins, um, specifically folate. And that alone was enough to get passed on to the kids and then determine whether they were brown mice or white mice and whether they were like lean and healthy or kind of obese and, and unhealthy. And so we see that these epigenetic marks and these epigenetic changes as a result of diet can actually have pretty meaningful consequences on kind of your genome and your biological aging. And so this is something that we're learning a lot more about Um, and it's something I think that's probably going to be, you know, in the next 20 years as that technology becomes more available and becomes more commercialized, it's going to be used for a lot of things in healthcare. Um. Some good, right? Some like, hey, go get your your epigenome measured, and then get a profile of who you are, which I think is interesting. Um, but there is another kind of caveat to this, so I can't give a lot of details. Um, but at one point in my career, I worked in um, like biotech IP, so I I wrote patents for biotech companies. Um, long story there, uh, but one of the Patents I worked on was for an insurance company that actually looked at epigenetic marks for classifying risk for people. And what was interesting is a lot of these epigenetic marks don't just tell what you're doing now, but they also give a history of what you've done in the previous decades, right? So if you were, let's say you currently are not a smoker and you don't drink anymore. But maybe in your twenties you smoked a lot and you drank a lot of alcohol. Some of these epigenetic tests can actually pick that up, right, with pretty high fidelity, and so you can actually have a much higher risk classification for your health insurance when you're 40s, if you're getting health insurance if you're getting life insurance. Excuse me, was what this was more used for was life insurance, um, in your 40s, than in your 20s, even though you're probably arguably a much healthier person now, but your previous history of smoking was actually going to be picked up by these assays, right, that measure specifically your kind of methylation marks is what we call. So it's very interesting, right, as we're starting to learn, there's there's a lot more that we can learn about DNA from kind of this epigenome. It can tell us a lot about kind of your biological age, and it can also tell you a lot about your overall kind of health patterns. Um, and then two, this is already being commercialized, all right? Some of it's going to be used for the good of like hey, you can learn a lot more. Um but the second part is there's going to be a lot of ways that you know, healthcare providers, insurance providers are going to learn a lot about who you are and were and kind of your uh, your personal life um decades ago. And that's going to be very interesting to see how is that usable? Um, And is that something that's actually going to be legal to do? So just a very interesting nutrition insight. I mean, not a huge amount of action that you can take other than realizing like, hey, healthy dietary patterns actually translate to the bottom line of like your biological aging, that your genetics, like your genome is telling your body. So uh, that is the nutrition insight for today. We'll take a very quick break and we'll come back for the business insight. moving on to the second segment of the show today business insights this one's going to be uh, probably shorter than last episodes just because this is i think a little more straightforward but really speaks to quite a bit of um, just how businesses work in today's age i mean running a business has changed a lot in the last 5 years 10 years 20 years 30 years like each each of those time periods has been pretty big shifts but it's changed a lot um and today i want to talk about uh, acquiring clients, so there's there's kind of three ways in my mind that you acquire clients, especially in today's kind of market. Um, there, there's probably more than this, right? But for direct to consumer businesses, which we run primarily a direct to consumer business, I break customer acquisition down into three things. Um, one is you pay for them. I'll dive into that in a second. Two is you subsidize the acquisition through value. And three is word of mouth slash referral, which fundamentally comes down to two things, product and brand slash community. So let's start with the first one. The very first one is I think the most straightforward is you just pay for clients, right? You go out and you spend a ton of money. Maybe you spend a dollar, maybe you spend a million dollars to acquire a client by just being in front of them so much that... Eventually, a certain percentage of people are just going to buy, right? Like, this is kind of standard social media marketing 101, right? You say, Hey, I can buy a thousand eyeballs for a thousand dollars. Um, and then, after I get those thousand eyeballs, I can get my product through another ad in front of them for, you know, let's say, you know, a hundred dollars a placement in front of those thousand people. And then, I can get in front of you know another subset of that people who've clicked on it who are interested, and I'm just gonna pay to be in front of them as much as I can until eventually I wear them down and they just buy my product like that's one acquisition now within that, there's a lot of things of like is your marketing messaging good? Is your offer good? like there's a lot of details in there that's fundamentally the way that occurs, right, and that's what we'll call a cost per acquisition, right, and that cost per acquisition kind of just paying for clients is generally. Relatively high, right? That's just kind of cold ads, like warming the lead ads, retargeting ads, just that whole process. Now, that's generally the highest cost, right? In terms of like actual dollars. And those clients generally, if you think about it, it kind of, you have to crack a lot of eggs to get an omelet, is kind of what I, is a phrase I heard a long time ago of like, hey, You're going to end up getting a lot of clients. Some of those are going to be great clients. Some of those aren't going to be great clients. They're just going to have, you're going to have acquired those clients through paying for them. It's kind of like buying friends, right? Some of those friends are great. Some of those friends end up not being great. The second way is what I call subsidizing acquisition through value. This is kind of like number one, but instead of just paying money to get your brand and your product in front of people, what you're actually doing is you're saying, okay, I know who my audience is. I know what their pain points are. I know what they want. And what I'm going to do is instead of paying to get an offer, a product, and my brand in front of them, what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, hey, I can solve a lot of your problems with value I can give you, right? That's either I'm going to give you a podcast and I'm going to pay money to send a podcast to you because I think I can... Solve a lot of your problems by the information I give you. Another one is, you know, hey, here's a, a free ebook. Come download it. A, I want your email because I want to market to you later. But B, like, there's a lot of value in here that I think I can solve some of your problems through this ebook. Um, hey, go check out my, you know, video series that I put together. Come check out my course. Come join my community where I'll answer your questions for free. And then eventually. You build a lot of cachet and equity with these people. They get to know who you are. And then eventually you send them an offer and you're like, hey, look, over the last two years, I've, I've given you the solution to 98% of your problems. And it's that last 2% that you still need help with. And that's what I charge for. Like, I've already solved all the other problems. Why don't you just come to me to solve the last 2%? Because I've already helped you for free solve the other problems. That's fundamentally kind of Macro Zink's approach to acquiring our clients currently, right? Like we do paid marketing, um, but a large amount of that is we actually subsidize what I call subsidize the acquisition through value, right? Because creating that value, creating those ebooks, creating those podcasts, creating the infographics, building the community, doing macro checks, creating ebooks, creating courses, that all has to be paid for, right? Whether it's through time right like me sitting down and working on those for hours and hours and hours um or we pay one of our employees or a independent contractor to to do that work for us um so we're subsidizing that acquisition by paying for the value that we then have to pay to get into your hands right so that's number 2 and then the last one is what i'll call word of mouth or referral um, and that comes from you know you have a product that's so great that people want to scream from the mountaintops um or uh and not or but and your brand is so strong people feel a sense of community to your brand and they want other people to join in right and I think that that model was really how crossFit grew right is more of the, the brand and the community than necessarily the product, right? I think there was a lot of amazing transformations in CrossFit. Um, I think fundamentally, the reason CrossFit has kind of declined is their product never really evolved to meet the growing demand and the changing demographics. But the reason they still exist is because their community is so strong so word of mouth and referral comes down to kind of product and community. and so when we think about, you know, how you acquire clients, those are kind of the three ways that you do it. um when i think about the major players in our space, most of them go for the pay for them approach, right? if you look at um and i'm just going to use these kind of three because they're probably the most household names in terms of who knows them. um you've got Peloton, Noom, Beachbody, um, I would say Weight Watchers and Jenny Craig, but they're they're so old in terms of how long their brands have been around that they play a little bit different game. But like Peloton, Beachbody, and Noom, all pay for their client acquisition, right? Like they have some branding and they have a lot of word of mouth referral. But how they've built their company was really they paid for traffic, they paid for eyeballs, they paid for clients. Um, and so that's how a lot of this works in our space. And then you've got the kind of multi-level marketing approach, which is word-of-mouth referral. But that's also kind of paid word-of-mouth referral, if you think about it in that aspect. Um, but, but that's just kind of my insight is when you look at, you know, specifically, I and mean, this, this translates to a lot of industries, but specifically kind of the health and fitness industry is you pay for clients, you subsidize them, you subsidize the acquisition through value, or you get word-of-mouth referrals. And our approach generally is we're going to take option two and option three on the back end of option two. So we're gonna build as much equity and cachet with our community because one, we feel like that's the right thing to do, right? Like so much of what people need is free information. Like you shouldn't have to pay for basic, really good information that changes your life, right? So we say, hey, we feel like we know what that is, we feel like we're industry leaders. We can take that information, we can package it up, and we can give it to you in a way that's digestible, that's meaningful, that's valuable. We can give it to you, and you can make um, you can have amazing results. And then when you get to that last two percent that we can't really just give you in a package, you have to like go through the experiential learning and experiential knowledge. That's when we're going to say, "Hey, come work with a coach." You know, it's going to be a, an investment of, you know, one hundred and fifty to two hundred bucks a month. For three months, 12 months, six months, 18 months, whatever your journey is going to require. And that investment is going to pay off for the next 60 years of your life, right? It's kind of like your retirement account. Bank that early so that in 60 years, you have the life you want. Um, That's kind of our approach. And then word of mouth referral, right? Is we want to have a product and our coaching product that's so good that people refer all of their friends to us and send them nowhere else. and then obviously, we have some incentives to like incentivize clients to do that. So that's kind of uh, my thoughts on the business insight today. One more quick break, and then we'll come back and we'll close this up with what we today. What am I learning today? Uh, this is something that has really been, I think, something I've been learning over the last two years or so. Um, and just wanted to kind of chat through it today. So kind of the tagline here is, if you want to change your life, you have to change who you are as a person. And that takes work. So I think about you know, the journey that I've been on as kind of a, a human being since, man, really probably my early 20s. Um, Kind of when i I struggled a lot, probably between the ages of seventeen to twenty two probably you know, just really kind of like not knowing quite who I was and who I wanted to be and what my life was like um you know I, there was a lot of personal and professional struggle in there that's kind of hard it's it's weird to say I had a lot of professional struggle as a seventeen eighteen year old but I did um And a lot of it just came down to like how I viewed the world um, and kind of how I thought of myself as a person. And so I think about, you know, the journey of basically just to kind of wrap that up in a nutshell is finished undergrad, took a job, worked for a year, was pretty miserable job, Um, was also pretty miserable as a person in that phase, like terrible job with terrible work hours. Um, I mean, we're talking like, 22 and a half hours a day, which when I tell people, they're like, that's not possible. Um, I can tell you guys that story sometime of what my life looked like for about nine months of that year. Um, Like difficult breakup when I was young, a lot of like just emotional stuff. And then kind of went back to grad school, you know, went through a master's that was really challenging, Um, had a, a major professor decide to leave like the last part of my kind of master's thesis. And I had to like, basically cram a two and a half year degree into, you know, 11 months, um, which was crazy. Then went back and did my doctoral work, which there was a lot of just kind of difficulties there with like some faculty members. Um, And then, you know, a postdoc and then was kind of taking the trajectory of going into academic medicine. Our lab got closed due to like some like high up decisions at a kind of healthcare institution level. In the lab I worked, um, you know, starting my first business challenges there. So there's just been like a lot of a lot of ch- like just difficulties along the way. Um, and one of the things that I've learned, and my life's obviously changed a huge amount from those days, right? Um, but if you want to change your life, like if you want to change your your personal happiness if you want to change the people you have in your life if you want to change like the house you live in if you want to change your financial situation if you want to change your physical body your health like if you want to change your life you have to change who you are as a person and that takes a tremendous amount of work um but that work is like fundamentally worth it because who you are as a person is your life right and your life is the only thing that you get. You get it once and that's it. Um and it's going to take a lot of work to get to where you want to be. And when I think about it like that's the only thing that actually matters, right? Is the only thing that matters is your life and who you are, right? You have no control over anything else. You have no control over, you know, the fact that you were born, you have no control over the circumstances you were born into. You have no control over, you know, when you die, I mean, you kind of do, but you don't. Um, you have no control over the period and time in the world in which you're born in. You have no control over the, the skills, talents you were born with. But what you do have control over is who you are and who you become as a person. And that like, basically everything about your life comes down to like who you are as a person, right? The decisions you make, the mindset you have how you respond emotionally to situations, Um, the people you keep, the growth that you go through. Um, You're responsible for a lot of your relationships, right? Is you have at least 50% of the responsibility in any relationship you have. And so I think, you know, that's one of the things that uh, over the last probably two years, I haven't really... Thought a lot about this like i've always just, i've kind of been on this journey of like kind of personal growth and development, but haven't really sat and looked at like oh wow, look how much my life has changed, and it's mostly because it's you know me changing as a person um and I think you know a lot of just the last let's say man twenty twenty let's go back let's go back three years um so between twenty nineteen and now and how much has changed in terms of like my life. The work I do, the people in my life, um, the decisions I make, like all those things, and I think about, you know, all of that took a lot of work. You know, from going from, you know, running a very running a small company, selling that small company, taking a job somewhere else, coming into Macros Inc. um, You know, five-ish years ago, um, kind of being involved coming on board full time, scaling it, solving a lot of problems. Um, you know, dealing with pandemics, dealing with life changing, um dealing with a lot of personal stuff like all those changes have been, you know, some of them are deliberate and you make those choices and some of them you just kind of get thrown at you and you have to figure out the best way to to handle them. So, um I guess really that's kind of the long-winded contextual way to say if you want to change your life, you have to change who you are as a person. And that takes a lot of work. But fundamentally, it's worth it. And sometimes you need a little bit of help to change who you are, right? Sometimes you need outside perspective to tell you who you are right now. And what is the gap between who you are and who you want to be? And what are the things you need to do to change it? Um, And so I think that is my what am I learning today insight. So That's it. I appreciate you guys. I'm Dr. Brad. I'm out of here. I will see you guys next week. Hopefully very soon, we have these coming via video as well. Um, That's my project to work on for 2023 is to record these in video. So you guys will probably see me on video recording these. Most of the time I record them before I've showered and I look like a gremlin. So you'll probably even just see that too because I don't want to change who I am. So, all right. I'll see you guys later. I'm Dr. Brad. I'm out of here.